Hello there, I'm Brian Taylor. Down the years, you may have seen me on the telly or heard me on the wireless, but this is different. This is the Brian Taylor podcast brought to you by The Herald. Today, what has happened this week is not a tough decision. It's an easy decision because what they've done is tried to balance the books on the backs of those who have the least once again. And it's utterly disgusting. The Scottish government wanted to be able to say, look at that big bad parliament Westminster not allowing us to do things, when in fact it's the Scottish government that is trying to do this sort of power creep. If we could just get away from this obsession with the constitution, then maybe we could actually build a better Scotland that Christine, even and I, would all like to see. Hello there, I'm Taylor. Very warm welcome to my latest Herald podcast. Quite a week in all sorts of ways. Grim warnings, but huge increases in energy prices, stand-up comedy from the Prime Minister among the very serious stuff in his Tory party conference speech. Somebody nicked Andy Murray's tennis shoes with his wedding ring attached. Now, I'm, I'm fairly certain, I think I'm probably fairly certain, that none of my distinguished guests today would leave precious jewellery in their smelly gym shoes, but you can never be entirely certain. But I, I, either way, I'm, I'm delighted to welcome three MP Stephen Flynn of the SNP, Andrew Bowie of the Conservatives, and Christine Jardin from the Liberal Democrats. Welcome all three. We're speaking to you very shortly. Indeed, also joined by Alistair Grant of the Herald. Al- Alistair, I mentioned those energy prices. They really are becoming, the hikes are becoming really apocalyptic, aren't they? Yeah, they are. I think this will be a you know, crisis that people will be all too aware of now. It's, um, it's been in the media a lot. We've obviously just seen the, uh, the energy price cap rising. Um, so gas prices, I think, are at a record high at the moment. Um, yeah. I think it was National Grid's chief executive, uh, John Pettigrew, warning of uh, a kind of tighter energy supplies over the cold winter months uh, in terms of the supply and demand. Yeah. Um, so uh, this is something that obviously affects homes, but it also affects businesses. And I think yeah. we've seen the you know, Iceland, the supermarket chain, raising yeah. concerns about this and essentially saying that, you know, if gas prices remain high, this, this issue continues. Um, costs will be, you know, inevitably passed on to consumers. So it has a kind of, a kind of wider impact in the economy. Um, and we've also seen kind of smaller energy suppliers collapsing uh, yes. in the back of this as well. So it's obviously yeah. a, becoming becoming a bit of a crisis. Yeah, uh, Stephen Flynn, is there is there anything we can, anything serious and substantive we can do, or are we just at the mercy of these these global price rises? I think there's plenty that the UK government could be doing. Uh, Brian, at this moment in time, um, I spoke in the House of Commons uh, in an urgent question on this a, a number of weeks ago. Now, I think it's regrettable, by the way, the House of Commons is not sitting at a moment in time when energy prices are going through the roof. Um, I think it's deeply, deeply distressing that that's the case. But one of the key things that the UK government can and should be doing is acknowledging the fact that when the gas price goes up, someone is going to be making a lot of money out of that. And as far as I'm aware, there's been no attempt whatsoever from the UK government to try and ascertain who exactly that is and how they can rein in that uh, that profit to benefit the taxpayer and thus put in place schemes to support those who are going to be facing astronomical bills. And that's the key thing here. Given given, given that the UK imports gas and that much of it comes from Russia and therefore is determined by, by global prices, you know, again, what can the UK government do about that, given that there's a pickup in the economy post post uh, the, the pandemic and, you know, there's therefore a shortage of supply in, in terms of, of supply and demand. Uh, of course, the UK does import, but the UK also produces its, its own gas as well. 
Uh, and many of the traders in the gas market uh, will be UK-based as well, who'll be making significant profits uh, on, on the back of this. And that tax revenue, as it filters through to the Treasury, if indeed it does filter through to the Treasury, they need to make uh-huh. sure it does, that that revenue is put, in place, uh, is put in place to a scheme to support those who are going to be hammered by this cost-of-living crisis that we see. Because as Alistair's highlighted, it's not just it's not just the case of your own energy bills going up, your own heating bills going up. This is going to be replicated in, in the shops as well. As we've already seen, yeah. the price of goods are going up because of uh, the shortages and the HGV drivers and the like. But they're going to be a knock-on impact because of the energy costs facing uh, businesses as well. So we need the UK government to step up and put in place measures to support people. And up till now, they've not done that, Frank. Uh, Andrew, what's, what, what's your take on that? Andrew, I see you're looking fairly sceptical, to say the least, at that. I think it's a bit disingenuous of Stephen to suggest that we aren't actually taking action to support those most affected by the gas price increases. Brian, you're absolutely right. These are uh, global trends, and we are at the mercy somewhat of things that happen on a global stage. But despite that, we've taken action to maintain the energy price cap. We are introducing and keeping the winter fuel payment scheme, the warm home discount scheme. And Stephen can be absolutely uh, assured that every penny of revenue gained from people who are trading on the gas markets will be put into schemes to support people in this country who are worried about the cost of living, who are seeing petrol price rises, who are worried about their energy bills. And this government will be taking the tough decisions necessary to ensure that these people get the support they need, as we are already. I think, I think Stephen was looking for additional tax increases. I'll, I'll ask him in a minute. But Christine, I'll bring you in in two seconds. But I think Stephen was looking for additional tax increases on, on what he sees as a windfall advantage from, from these uh, developments. Not necessarily a, a new tax at all, Brian. I think we need to be making sure that the money that's coming in is being utilised for new schemes to support people. Okay. But I find, it, I find it difficult to understand Andrew saying that the government's doing all it can to support people in the very same week that most of the people who are going to be impacted the most by uh, these gas increases, the energy price increases, are those in receipt of universal credit. And of course, the Tory party have just taken away £20 per week from those very same people. And whilst we're on the topic of the energy price cap, as Andrew know, the, only, the energy price cap only applies to some customers, and of course it's now at record levels, but for those who are not under the remit of the energy price cap, who are already yeah. in fixed-term contracts, they are now having to move to new companies and seeing their bills rise an astronomical amount, which they would not have budgeted for. The consequence of that is going to be really damaging for people right across Scotland, or indeed right across the UK. Christine, apologies. I'll bring in Andrew for a brief answer to that, and then I'll bring yourself in. Andrew Bowie, then Christine Jardin. Well, I mean, the idea that we're not doing uh, a lot to support working families is, I'm afraid, for the birds. We've in, just invested £500 million in a, in a, in a hardship fund, which will help uh, people, uh, yes, specifically in England, but because of Barnet Consequentials, £40 million going to the Scottish Government. I see Stephen shaking his head. Maybe he'll join me in calling for the Scottish Government to ensure that that £40 million actually gets to where... It needs to be. We've taken Andrew, you just cut £6 billion. Pounds. You just cut £6 billion. Any other government in history, and due to our actions, the national living wage will see people working and earning the national living wage earning £20 a week more if on a 40-hour contract. This is a government taking action to support the worst off and the poorest in society, which is more than the MP are doing, which is playing constitutional games with the Supreme Court and trying to distract from the real issues that we are focusing on on a day-to-day basis. We'll come to that later. Christine Jardin, you've been very patient. What's your take on this issue? Well, I, I have to say, it's, you know, it's the same old thing in Scottish politics now at the moment about listening to two sides arguing about the Constitution. And I'm sorry, Andrew, I have to disagree with you. I really don't think uh, Rishi Sunak's £500 million and £4 million in Scotland is really 
anything more than a drop in the ocean. It doesn't come close to what people need at the moment at a time when universal the universal credit uplift is ending. And remember, there was never any uplift on legacy payments. So people who were on legacy benefits never even got the £20 a week. So they don't have the £1,000 extra a year to lose. Fund loans coming to an end. Businesses are now facing... Um, enormous debt. So the economy is in an incredibly difficult situation and the energy crisis is going to add to that. And the government isn't doing enough to help people who are going to be affected by this. Also, they will have the national insurance hike, which will hit the, the lowest paid the hardest. So what we have at the moment is this perfect storm of the government, um, the support coming to an end, people facing the the next phase of this crisis, which is liable to be um, economic rather than than health um, as the worst aspect of it. And now we have the energy price hike on top of it. And the the potential overnight that Putin is intervening and that the Russian government will be able to manipulate the prices and manipulate our gas market. Now, that surely is something that this government should have been aware of. And we come back to the same problem that we faced over the past four years. This government isn't anticipating things and is reacting to them rather than leading the agenda. One of the areas they could have led the agenda was in green electricity and moving us away from gas, but they've been busy chasing headlines rather than actually doing what needed to be done and utterly neglected the UK renewables industry to the point where coal power stations are being fired up again and there's talk of oil um, being drilled in you know, in the south of England and home counties. That's utterly ridiculous at a time when we're trying to fight climate change. Christine, you, I, I, I held you back for a bit for coming in, but hey, you didn't miss. Andrew Barry, what do you think <laughs> of that? What do you make of that? I think great exception to the suggestion uh, from Christine that we're not investing in renewable energy. This government has invested more in renewables than any government in history. We are leading the G7, leading the EU, in fact, in many ways, leading the world in cutting our carbon emissions. We're the one of the few countries in the world to have legislated for net zero. There were times over the past two years when coal power stations weren't used at all to supply any of our energy needs, but we know- But they are now. There's going to be well, you're talking about firing up coal again. And, you know, well, I hate to mention the sea is, is, your, is your argument that we should just dispense with fossil fuels tonight? No, it's not. It's, no, but we should be trying. We should be trying. We should be trying to reduce it. But what I would point out is, and I hate to mention the C word in public, but during the coalition, the Liberal Democrats nearly quadrupled renewable energy in government. But the Tories have since dropped so many balls on this. You have cut so many things. You cut the Green Deal. You abandoned the carbon capture projects in the northeast of Scotland. You have done so much to undermine sustainability and the just transition that we really have to get on top of it now. And we wouldn't be facing this crisis with gas prices if you'd done more. I'm going to bring in Alistair. Alistair Grant, the, the, the Prime Minister referred to energy in his speech. Others have referred to energy. There is a balance, isn't there? You know, everyone, the, there's the objective of of renewables, but you hear various politicians saying that's longer term. In the meantime, you're going to require oil extraction from the North Sea. Some dispute that, of course. In the meantime, the Prime Minister said nuclear. Um, there's this balance, isn't there, with the, 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 the provision now and the long-term move towards renewables. Alistair Grant. There is a balance, yeah. And I know Boris Johnson obviously referred to this in his speech, but I thought, you know, there was a lot of, kind of criticism of his speech in terms of um, its kind of tone. It was quite upbeat, quite optimistic. It was full of jokes, full of kind of rhetorical flourishes. 
um, kind of the stuff that Boris Johnson is known for. But I think if you were listening to that speech, you wouldn't have maybe got the impression that the country is heading into the winter that it that it is heading into in terms of the energy crisis and the things that yeah. uh, things that other people brought up and. Well, he's on skipping. We want to talk that up, is he? Because he was trying to be an upbeat, trying to be an upbeat speech. I understand the, you know, the 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 the, the geology almost of these things at, at at party conferences. You're trying to mine the, the advantage that you have. Yeah, he's he's trying to be an upbeat speech, and I suppose that's what he does best. You know, he's, he's good at being yeah. upbeat. He's good at making people feel good about themselves. He's good at those kind of cheerful uh, oration and all that kind of thing. But I suppose people would be looking to him for answers. Or he is the prime minister. He does have to address these issues. I think people look to him for solutions. And you could maybe argue that, that the speech at the Tory party conference was light on solutions and light yes. on policy. Thanks for that. Stephen Flynn, uh, uh, the, there are answers that are required from the UK government. Are there also answers required from the, the Scottish government as to this balance between uh, renewable energy and, and a short-term dependence upon uh, oil and gas? I don't think there's answers, uh, Brian. I think our position's incredibly clear and has been for, for a long time that we want to see Scotland become... Uh, are renewables giant, particularly in the northeast of Scotland, where both me and, and Andrew uh, are, are lucky enough to be based. You know, the, the natural resources that we have off our coast need to be utilised and capitalised upon. 25% of Europe's offshore wind sits off of uh, the coast. I think it's roughly 60% of the, the CFD bids, uh, certainly in relation to Scotland, uh, sit yeah. within 100 miles of Aberdeen. So we, we have enormous resources that need to be that need to be tapped. One of the biggest barriers to that, of course, which I don't think Christine uh, touched upon, although she touched upon many correct things there, uh, is transmission charging, where, where Scottish uh, renewables projects pay the highest uh, rate of uh, transmission charges in the entirety of Europe, where projects in Scotland are paying to access the grid, projects in the southeast of England get paid to access the very same grid. So I, I don't think that the UK government has planned appropriately for the transition that needs to come. And the consequence of that is, is there for all to see at this moment in time. I moved you on to the, that long-term thinking. Back to the immediate hike in energy prices. I mean, you're talking about, what was it, gas wholesale prices up about 40% in a single day. Andrew, Andrew Bowie, that presumably is, is extremely difficult for the market to absorb. Of course, it is extremely difficult for the market to absorb. And that's why uh, the government overnight took a very difficult decision um, to uh, get an agreement with the Russian government to continue to supply gas. And that's why, looking long term, we need to be investing in development uh, off the coast. As Stephen says, very lucky to uh, represent here in the northeast of Scotland. The potential that we have in the North Sea uh, for renewables is huge. Um, but also, we can't ignore the fact that for many years to come, we're going to be relying on fossil fuels to keep the lights on, to keep the uh, people's homes warm over winter and that's why I want the government for example to announce its intentions regards the Campbell oil field I'd like to see us moving ahead with that development you know we'll supply oil and gas in the next 25 years which will maybe see us through to 2050 and our net zero target but we are in doing all these things we're investing huge amounts of money in in renewables I'm speaking to companies involved in the CCUS project just the other day I was informed that this the contracts for difference program that we have in the in the United Kingdom is actually the most attractive in the world. And so we're doing a lot. And, and, and transmission charges, I actually agree with Stephen, we should be taking action to, 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 to uh, sort the anomaly there. We've also got to recognise taking action on that could have, and we'd have to make sure it didn't, have a knock-on negative effect on consumers in Scotland. Hear that long-term talk, and I, I appreciate it was me that raised it, and I'm perfectly willing to discuss that. But talk about in, in the immediate future, this winter ahead, you talk about warm homes. Some people will not be able to keep 
their homes warm. They will face enormous bills that they cannot pay. At the same time, as your rivals have pointed out, the, 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 the UK government is removing what was admittedly stressed at the time as a temporary uplift in universal credit. Will you accept that there's going to be some real hardship for real families around Scotland in the period ahead? I accept there's a lot of people very worried about what the winter might bring. And that's why this government is taking the tough decisions necessary to support those people across the country. Why we've kept the energy price cap, which will save uh, people on average about £100 a year. That's why we've got the warm home discount scheme. That's why we've got the winter fuel uh, payment scheme. Uh, and that's why we're investing more with the £500 million and the £40 million direct Scotland for those families who are struggling across the country this time. Because all three MPs on this uh, show, all MPs across the country will have people coming into their constituency offices, yeah. talking to them about the worries that they have. And it's up to us to try and find uh, the solutions, which is what this UK government is determined to do. Christine Jordan, you were shaking your head. I'll bring in Christine Jordan and I'll bring in Stephen Flint to comment on those remarks. Christine Jordan first. I don't agree that the government is doing enough, obviously. I mean, as I said earlier, I think that £500 million is just a drop in the ocean compared to what people need. And the government should be responding. I don't think they should be ending universal credit uplift. They should be they should be keeping it going. And I think also we need some targeted support in the sectors that are struggling now because of, ironically, a shortage of labour. A lot of people have, have moved during furlough. And sectors are struggling now so more does need to be done but with regards to the the just transition and the long transition i moved to the northeast of scotland from the west of scotland in the mid to late 1980s and i went from an area that was suffering from the neglect um, and the the vacuum that comes um and the black hole that's left by an industry that that dies and that was shipbuilding and the steel industry in Lanarkshire. And I went to this very prosperous community in the northeast of Scotland that was, you know, living off the new wealth of the North Sea. Yeah. But what I see now is exactly the same happening to the northeast. I see the northeast having the, the plugs pulled on its industry. And what we need to do is ensure that as we go through this just transition, we use the technological uh, know-how, the skills and the ability of the North Sea industries to transition, they are the ones not only with the skills, but the imperative, the economic imperative to survive those companies, Shell, Total, BP, to take us through to the next stage. Because we can't pull the plugs in the oil industry straight away, not just for the Northeast, but because we would then have to import oil and gas on a a much bigger scale. And that that wouldn't improve our carbon footprint. That would actually make it worse because we begin bringing oil and gas from the Middle East, oil specifically. So I think there are a lot of questions we need to address, um, but we can't blind ourselves at the moment to the fact that we have a major problem, which the government should have foreseen and should be doing more about. Stephen Flynn. Yeah, uh, Brian, if I could take a step back, uh, I think Andrew's listed a lot of warm words there, but as he knows all too well, I hope he does, warm words will not heat the homes of my constituents. 5,110 families in Aberdeen South, and I've got a relatively affluent constituency in many respects, are going to be losing £20 per week at a time when fuel prices are increasing, when energy prices are increasing, when food prices are going through the roof. And the consequence of that is going to be that a single parent who's going to the shops is going to have to choose whether they walk or take the bus. When they go to the shop, they're going to see food, which is more expensive. So they're going to be able to buy less, irrespective of the universal credit uplift. And when they go home, they're going to have to choose between using 
their gas cooker to heat that or their gas uh, to, to cook that or their gas boiler to heat their home. That is the reality for people in my constituency and right across Scotland. And it's happening on the watch of this UK government. What has happened this week is not a tough decision. It's an easy decision because what they've done is tried to balance the books on the backs of those who have the least once again. And it's utterly disgusting. I'll, 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 hang on, Andrew. I'll get Andrew Bowie to respond, respond at the minute. Stephen, just while I've got you, just one thing. The Campbell Field, do you think that should get the go-ahead? I'm uh, of, the, of the view, Brian, which I think is replicated by the Independent Committee on Climate Change, that whilst we have a situation where demand exceeds production, we should be looking to use uh, our own natural resources in Scotland and across the UK. I don't want to see us in a situation where we are importing gas and oil from elsewhere in Europe, and I don't want to see us in a situation where our energy security is put at risk and we're in a situation like we find ourselves today under the watch of this UK government where they're relying on Vladimir Putin to balance out the gas situation. That is on the UK government's watch. Andrew, final word on this, you'll be accused of balancing the budgets on the back of the poor. Yeah, that's simply not the case. Under this government, the wealthiest in society pay a higher share of tax than at any point uh, since the Second World War. And that is, of course, as it uh, should be. It's very interesting to hear Stephen uh, endorse Campbell. That, of course, is not the position of uh, his party's partners in government who would turn the tax off tomorrow. It's this government investing a billion pounds, over a billion pounds in the UK, in the North Sea uh, Transition Fund, something which we both uh, campaign for. We're working with the UK government, working with companies across the oil and gas sector to ensure that they have the, the facilities available to transition their workforce from the high school jobs that have oil and gas through to high school jobs in renewables. But back to the crisis facing so many people, not just in Stephen's yeah. constituency, in my constituency, where there's, there's rural uh, poverty, in Christine's constituency, in the centre of Edinburgh, we understand that out there right now there are a lot of very worried people, which is why we have raised the national minimum uh, living wage, which is why we are taking action to support households through our £500 million. Actually, you just took 20 quid a week off these same people. More of the poorest out of paying tax altogether, and this government will stand by them, the War Homes Fund, with the minimum payment, and all the rest of it. To say that we're doing nothing is completely disingenuous. Oh, you're not doing nothing. You're hitting the people the harder than they already are. Tremendous discussion. We'll come back to that on a subsequent programme. Thank you very much indeed for your, your contributions. Uh, a subject I'm sure that's really worrying a lot of people is, is, is those energy bills. And as I say, we will come back to that again. Alison, I want to bring you in. Alison Grant, we, we've got the, we had a Supreme Court ruling this week that two uh, legislative measures at Holyrood, two Scottish government bills, or rather one Scottish government and one, one member's bill, but two Holyrood bills, were deemed as as ultra vires going beyond the powers of 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 uh, Holyrood. Can you can you explain that to us briefly? And may I just say loads of luck. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to try and be as brief and as simple as possible. So those two Holyrood bills, as you said, they were unanimously backed by MSPs at the time. Uh, so both the bills basically aimed to incorporate aspects of international law into Scots law. So we've got the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child. We've got the European Charter of Local Self Government. Uh, and essentially, uh, the UK government took this to the to the Supreme Court, which ruled the provisions in both of these bills, the provisions within them, were beyond Holyrood's power. So the judges basically said that the legislation could affect Westminster's ability to make laws in Scotland. Yeah. Um, the SNP argue this is like showing up the limits of devolution. Um, the bills are set to go back to MSPs to be amended. Uh, the Scottish government said it's committed to to bringing them into law. And we've also got opposition parties on the other side who, while they support um, the kind of the bills as a whole, 
uh, essentially have accused the SNP of playing cynical political games and kind of deliberately making this into a kind of constitutional clash, essentially, between the UK government and the Scottish government. Oh, uh, for goodness sake, well, really very good indeed. That was very concise and very thorough. Thank you, Alistair. Uh, I, I, Andrew, the, the, your, your lot seem to think the other lot are at it, basically, and they seem to think that your lot are, are at it. I mean, is, is there some constitutional play playmaking going on here? Well, that lot are always at it, uh, Brian, but on this uh, instance in particular, I think it's absolutely shameful what they have done, uh, you know, politicising, uh, shamefully using children's rights to play constitutional games with the Supreme Court, costing the Scottish taxpayer hundreds of thousands of pounds uh, in a court case which they were advised by their own lawyers they would almost certainly lose. The UK government attempted to work with the Scottish government to make this bill work. We suggested two very minor amendments that would actually allow this bill to go ahead and become law. We, as the Scottish Conservatives, actually voted for the bill in its entirety, but the, the Scottish National Party, in a pre-election stunt, play constitutional games with children, with the children of Scotland's future, but it's eschew all of that, take the Supreme Court, and now suffering the consequences of being embarrassed on the national stage. I'm very glad the Supreme Court ruling has gone the way it has. We need to understand that, that, that there are limits uh, and there, are, we, there is a construct we all have to work in. Every legislature around the world has the, the, a construct that it has to work in. And it's right that we respect that. And it's time, for goodness sake, to stop playing games and actually start working together for, the, for, the, for a better future for the Scottish people. If we could just get away from this obsession with the Constitution, then maybe we could actually build a better Scotland that Christine, Stephen and I would all like to see. Stephen, Stephen Flynn, you're not at it. I, I think Andrew's uh, doing himself a bit of a disservice there with his full outrage. Um, as he himself has just said, as Alistair pointed out, as I think all of us are aware, there's a lot of uh, revisionism going on, but notwithstanding that, the Tories, the Labour Party, the Lib Dems, the Greens, the SNP, all voted unanimously in favour of this legislation. And that's, that's the first point I wish to make. The second point is the fact that, of course, this shows the limits of devolution. And if I was a, a Conservative member, a Labour member, a Lib Dem member, a Green member, I would be extremely frustrated, as the SNP are, that the Scottish Parliament is not in a position where it can legislate to enshrine the rights of the child in Scots. Well, it can legislate now, to enshrine the rights of the child in as far as devolved matters are concerned. What of course. What it can do is lay down a bill that provides for the, for the UK Parliament to do. I mean, Lord Reid, the Scottish judge on the court, said the, the UNCRC, the Children's Rights, UN Children's Rights Bill, and he puts it, appear to have been drafted in terms which deliberately exceed the legislative competence of the Scottish Parliament and basically leaving up to the courts to try and sort it later. I mean, he's basically saying you, you, you were telt, you, you were telt in advance that this was well, going well, to be well, a problem and you went ahead regardless. Well, well, of course, Brian, all parties in the Scottish Parliament supported that Voted bill's progression. Yeah. And that's ultimate, that's a very key point. But if we don't think that the Scot that if we believe in the aspects of this bill and that bill should be implemented, then we should all be collectively annoyed that the Scottish Parliament is unable to legislate on that front. But there's one final brief point yes. that I wish to make. The Conservatives are making a, a lot of play in relation to this about how, how shocking this is. Well if it's so shocking, why is the UK government not legislated for the rights of the child to be enshrined in law? Ah. In which case this would ultimately render what the Scottish Parliament needed to do needed to do useless. So so hopefully Andrew can come in 
and clarify whether the UK government will now follow the Scottish government's lead and enshrine the rights of the child into law. I'll ask him to do that in a moment, but Christine Jardin, again, you've been very, very patient. What, what, what do you make of, of this one? Who's at it among the, the, the two contenders before you? Oh, I think there's absolutely no doubt that the Scottish National Party would have loved the Supreme Court to find the other way, not anything at all to do with enshrining the rights of the child in law, but because it would give them an argument to further enhance the powers of the Scottish Parliament out with the devolution legislation. And I think what we have to look at in this is the big picture. Um, and Andrew will remember, you will remember, Brian, um, back in uh, 20, the, the first part of the, the tent, the, the last decade, there was a suggestion that the Supreme Court were going to become involved in long-term wrangling over devolution and what was within the, the powers and what wasn't. And that was all part of a strategy to um, inv- you know, invoke this grievance strategy about how Westminster was playing politics and Westminster wasn't allowing the Scottish Parliament to do things. And that's exactly what we're seeing here, is that the, the, the Scottish government wanted to be able to say, look at that big bad Parliament Westminster not allowing us to do things, when in fact it's the Scottish government that is trying to do this sort of power creep and you know, bring powers to itself. Now, we all want to see a better Scotland. We all you want to see devolution work well. But what we don't want to see is time wasted on petty squabbles over the Constitution when we have a crisis. We have an energy crisis we've yeah. just been talking about. We but, have but Chris, a health crisis. The, that should the, be what we Christine, it was the UK on. government which brought this case. It wasn't the Scottish government that brought yes, this case. Yes, I know it was, but the, the UK, UK government, government brought this case. Like, picked the fight in the first place. The UK government brought this case because it saw what the Scottish government was doing, which was, you know, they are trying to enhance the powers of the Scottish government without going through the processes, which we have been through, through um, different devolution acts now. Um, 2016, most recently, where there were more powers. Now, that is what is at the root of this. It is the relationship that the Scottish government wants to break with the UK government. And it's all about everything the Scottish government does is about a constitutional row with Westminster. And Westminster shouldn't fall into that. And I'm afraid the Tories do sometimes fall into the trap of arguing about the constitution with the Scottish government when most of us in Scotland really are more concerned with the day-to-day problems, the crisis that we face, the health problems that we face, the problems in our education system, which the Scottish government should be fixing, the problems in the NHS should be fixing rather than constitutional Surely the Scottish government has tried to cooperate on issues of, of the, 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 the collective health of the nation. It's tried to cooperate over issues like the, the COVID vaccine. It's tried to cooperate over, for example, the, the transport restrictions. COVID is, is tried its level best to cooperate. Well, I, I don't think, I mean, I, I think what we have seen, and I'm the first to say, I think Nicola Sturgeon has handled her, her daily press conferences and the general management of the crisis. I think she has handled it well. But there have been times when I have found it frustrating being in Westminster and rather than, and I'm not in Hollywood, so I can't see what the atmosphere there is like, but being in Westminster, and I don't know, Andrew may, may sympathise here, but we're trying to get on with the business of making sure that we deal with the crisis. And every single day, the SNP brings it back to the constitutional argument and independence. When what we want to do, 
What the rest of us want to do is go on with solving the crisis. Now, that is why, if you like, we get frustrated that this had to go to the Supreme Court, that there had to be an argument about it, because there are issues that people in my constituency want addressed before we talk about the Constitution. And Andrew Bowie, Andrew Bowie. I mean, in some respects, Chris is absolutely right. People do just want us to get on with the job, taking this country forward, building back better, levelling up uh, the entire United Kingdom. And that's what, I mean, what does it mean, Andrew? Well, I can tell you what it means. it means. It means ensuring that no matter where in the country you are, the opportunities that are available to you are evenly spread. Talent is evenly spread across this country, but opportunities aren't. We actually want to level up the country, unlike the SNP, focused on division, focused on levelling down, with arguments about the Constitution and the rights, all the rest of it. What we want to do is actually help people in their day-to-day lives, help Andrew, where do the SNP focus on levelling down? Well, they, they want to level down because they, they, they level down the argument to the Constitution at every possible opportunity. If they actually were willing to work with the UK government, and if they had actually been willing to work with the UK government, we suggested two very minor amendments to this bill. Every party in the Scottish Parliament supports this bill. And of course, we respect the right of the Scottish Parliament to legislate in areas that it has responsibility for. But the UK government cannot allow the Scottish government, Scottish Parliament, to legislate for areas that they have no responsibility for. That is unconstitutional. And it's good that the law has proved this. On the UN uh, Convention on the Rights of the Child, the UK is a proud signatory, one of the first signatories. And we support the rights of children and young people around the world and are very, very proud to do so and have done so for many, many decades. Stephen, Stephen Flynn and Christine, yeah. Yeah, but, but on that point, and, and Andrew said it, and I, I appreciate the, the full outrage of Christine and Andrew in relation to this. I understand where it's coming from because they're, they're the ones who are trying to convict it into some sort of constitutional wrangling. But the reality is what the Scottish Parliament unanimously, the Tories and Lib Dems, Labour, Greens, SNP, all voted in favour of enshrining yeah. The rights of the Convention of Children into the law. Now, we should all be collectively angry that the Scottish Parliament did not have the remit to do that. And if the Supreme Court are saying that that's the case, that the remit is not there to do it, then we should all be collectively pushing the UK government to make sure that that is done. And I don't hear that from Andrew. And in fact, I don't or, hear or, it from Christine. The law, so that in fact, Christine, the final one, then I'm going to move on. Christine John. Can I just say, first of all, Stephen, it's not full outrage. It's absolute outrage at the way the SNP uh, behaves. But can I just be absolutely clear? Nobody, absolutely nobody objects to the United Nations Convention on the Rights of Child being incorporated into law. But there were four provisions. There were four provisions which the Supreme Court said were wrong because they were not within the remit of the Scottish Parliament. And that was all about um, allowing for Scottish courts to declare that a UK law or act was incompatible with it. It was about overreach. It's not about the principle. Everybody supports the principle. It was about the use of the principle to overreach the powers within the act, which is not legal. Thank, thanks all. I'm going, to, I'm going to broaden it slightly now. Andrew, you're back from Conservative Party conference in Manchester. We had the Prime Minister talking about renewing the sinews of the union. He was talking explicitly about transport links, but he made it plain that he that he saw it as, as, as broader than that. You um, edited a, a collection of essays published at the, the conference with the, 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 the Centre for Policy Studies in which you're talking about the idea of strengthening the, the union. Do, do, is your party doing enough? You're obviously pro-union. You talk with, in your own essay about the, you know, the, the sort of almost romantic vision of the, of the union and, and the UK. But is your party doing anything to, 
what you would see as being, you know, others would not, but what you would see as being the, the, the valid objective of strengthening the union? The whole aim, uh, Brian, of the, of the collection of essays, Strengthening Union, was to demonstrate that no matter where in the United Kingdom uh, you're from, uh, the union can be uh, a force for good. And we want to make a positive case for our United Kingdom. I think that we all accept that at times the, the campaign in 2014 from the unionist perspective was, uh, was not uh, a real positive case for, for staying together. And I think we need to move that on. And now we're seeing that the, the SNP are resorting to a more negative campaign for independence. And what I want to do is develop this, this positive case for the union. So, um, you know, we want to talk about the pride in our shared success, the innovation, the prosperity that comes when we all work together, the pride in our armed forces and, what they, and our aid workers and what they achieve around the world, the influence that we have on the global stage. And I think that, yeah, I think that the government is uh, taking great strides, you know, through the UK Internal Market Act, allowing the UK government to assist and help them step in where needed across the country, investing in transport infrastructure, such as Union Connectivity Review, that, of course, because it's got the word union in it, the Scottish government wants uh, nothing to do with, you know, uh, you know we're, we're taking action in so many steps uh, to, to, to promote, strengthen the bonds. And yeah, now is the time to make that positive case for our United Kingdom. Christine and I, Share a very different a very different political outlook, but we both agree uh, in the, that we need to be start to be making the positive case for our United Kingdom because Brian, we share far more. We have far more in common with with people in England and Wales and Northern Ireland than, than we don't, and that's why uh, I decided that, that it was a time timely timely to get on and publish this essay collection from from from, from all sides of the Conservative Party, all. It went quite brand new 2019 MPs, Theresa May, William Hay from House of Lords, you know, all very different strands of Conservatives are making a positive case uh, for the future of our United Kingdom. Stephen Flynn. <laughs> I, I've not, I'm a, I have to admit, I've not read. Uh, no, 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 I'm, I'm sure. Uh, of, of not not on your nightly but, reading list, I would imagine. But Steve, the, 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 the concept of strengthening the union, the concept of defending the union. I, I think uh, when we look at the union, uh, we have to look at much of the discussion that, that we've had here. Today, uh, we have food shortages, we've got price rises across the board, we've got staff shortages, and a lot of that has been born out of one thing, and that's Brexit. Now, Andrew says that, I said, he said earlier we're trying to, to level down, he said, I think he said earlier that, that we're not uh, seeking to do what's in Scotland's best interest, but of course, what is happening at this moment in time is Scotland is having the ramifications of, of Brexit, something that was forced upon us by the UK government. What we want to do is raise Scotland's horizons. We want to rejoin our friends in Europe. We want to rejoin the European Union. We want to see Scotland prosper. We want to harness the renewable energy that, that Scotland has. We want to ensure that people are treated with dignity. So the UK government's policies of attacking the poorest in society, which of course we've also talked about earlier today, are consigned to the dustbin of history. And of course, we want to see money spent, not on the likes of Biden, but on supporting our public services. That's, that's the vision we have, Brian. And let's face facts here. The biggest threat to the union at this moment in time is not the SNP, it's Boris Johnson. Stephen Flynn, uh, uh, one, of the, one of the things, I appreciate you haven't seen the, the, the book or the essays. But one I'll of the things... Copy for Christmas, Stephen. Yeah, there you are. Free, free copies. He's, he's, look at I'm sure my dog will love it. Copies. Uh, I, 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 Andrew mentioned global reach of, of the UK. Are you at all impressed by that? Argument. It's made by by several um, uh, writers in in the book. It was made by the Prime Minister that the the UK collectively, you know, is a is a permanent member of the UN Security Council. It's got global reach. 
Are you impressed by that as an argument against Scottish independence? No, um, and, and I don't think the UK has the global reach or the, the global uh, stature that it thinks it does. I think it lives in the head of, of conservative politicians. I mean, how is the trade deal with uh, the United States of America going on that we were yes. promised about? We had our prime minister in his global reach going to the United Nations and standing up and talking about Kermit the Frog. I mean, for goodness sake, is that, is that the extent of what have you got against Kermit? I'm sure we could find someone in Scotland to be elected as our own independent first minister to go and represent us at the UN a little bit better than Boris Johnson does for Christine Jordan. If we can get away from Kermit the Frog, I mean, but I have to say, I'm absolutely astonished. Stephen started out by listing all the problems at the moment and saying. They are born out of one thing, Brexit. Brexit, leaving a union. So why would you do the same thing with 10 times the amount of damage, at least to Scotland, by pulling us out of a union, which is you know, our biggest trading partner we've been part of for 300 years. We are family. We all have family up and down the country. Why I do as well, of course, yeah. Why would you make that worse? Have you not seen the lessons of Brexit? The lessons of Brexit are what we are living through at the moment. So why do it again? And I have to say, Andrew, why have I not got a copy of this book? I thought you and I were friends. I thought you were You can have my copy. Stephen Flynn, what, what about that point? It would multiply the problems of Brexit tenfold. I mean, it's it's not been of any damage or consequence to, to Ireland, has it? If we look at the success of our uh, of our small nation partners right across Europe and the gains that they've had from being within the European Union. I, th- I think that we can capitalise. Ireland hasn't left the European Union. No. no, no, of course it's not, Christine. No. I'm not, it's a, I'm not following deadly, the deadly logic of that at all, unless Stephen. You've forgotten. Um, I'm not following I, I think, that at all. Well, There's well, no let, logic let, there. Give him, give him, when give Ireland him, left the United Kingdom, the United Kingdom was not in the European Union. Wish, 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 Stephen Flynn. I'm very much, very much of the view, and I think the people of Scotland are of the view, and certainly they voted that way, that Scotland's place should be within the European Union. And the chaos, the chaos of Brexit, the chaos chaos of Boris, the chaos of Brexit and Boris, that will be the main driver that focuses people's minds on what Scotland can achieve. The way you get rid of Boris Johnson future into its own hands. The way, Andrew, the way you I, get rid of Boris Johnson is don't vote for the Conservatives. The way you get rid of <laughs> Boris Johnson is change the government. It's not leave the United Kingdom. And the people of this country, Scotland, voted to stay in the United Kingdom. Andrew, Andrew, Andrew Bowie. Andrew. Can I say something very quickly that might surprise you? I agree with Christian on that point. You cannot sure. paste, you cannot paste a campaign for independence and the creation of a nation state and campaign to break up uh, a union, an over 300-year-old union, on the on the basis that you don't like the current incumbent in Downing Street. Oh, oh, so, sorry, I'll, I'm happy the to broaden that. You, you are making for Scottish independence. You said you were going to make the positive argument for independence. All you've done is say Boris Johnson Brexit. Where's the positive argument for Scotland? She'd rather more than that. Scotland's influence on the world stage. The UK, a member of the G7, a founder member of NATO, a permanent member of the UN Security Council. Very few other countries in the world would be able to do what we did, for example, in Kabul, getting 20,000 people out of Kabul. We did that because of global reach oh, and our influence on the world stage. Stephen, Stephen Flynn, global reach impressing you again? No? Well, I, I, certainly not. And Andrew's kind of stumbled into his own mess there by mentioning Afghanistan. If we're going to talk about the global reach and the global influence, of the United Kingdom when it comes to Afghanistan. Tell that to the people who've been left behind because his government walked away because they were told to do it 
where was there where was the UK say in relation to that? But he's saying Andrew's saying that I'm not making the positive case. I am making the positive case. I believe that Scotland can have a positive future within the European Union. I believe that Scotland can benefit from the natural resources that we have. I believe that Scotland can benefit from making sure that the people who live and work here are given the opportunities to succeed. And I don't think that the UK government has delivered that. Whether that was Boris Johnson, David Cameron, Theresa May, Tony Blair, Gordon Brown, so on and so forth. I'll not limit it to one Prime Minister. But the key thing here is, Brian, the key thing here, and I think this is the important point, the people of Scotland have voted for the right to choose their own future. And that is something that we should all support. We should all support we should all support the right of the people of Scotland to choose. Final word, is there going to be a referendum anytime soon on independence? Christine Jardin, then Andrew, then Stephen. Christine first. Final word, briefly, please. No, people want us to deal with this crisis and fix it. They don't want a constitutional argument and they've already voted to stay in the UK, Stephen. Andrew Bowie. Uh, certainly not. Certainly not at the minute. We're focusing on getting the job done, levelling up and moving this country beyond COVID. Stephen Flynn. We fixed the crisis by gaining Scotland's independence and the people of Scotland should have the right to choose. Thanks to all three MPs. Big thanks to Alistair Grant, especially for that incredibly succinct uh, explanation of, 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 of what is about 3,000-page report, I suppose it was, from the, the Supreme Court. Thanks to all of you for watching, listening, or whatever it was one, one does with a, a podcast from me, Brian Taylor. Toodaloo the new. This podcast was brought to you by The Herald. Take 20% off an annual subscription to The Herald with our exclusive podcast code. Just add Herald Pod 2021 to your basket and get instant, unfiltered access to our website. And you can also get involved with the Brian Taylor podcast as well. Tune in on Facebook, Twitter and YouTube every Thursday afternoon to catch Brian and his panel chat live and ask your questions to the people across the political scene. 